Welcome to Views from the Porch, a podcast where we explore what it looks like to survive and thrive in your young adult years. Each week, we talk about the biggest challenges facing young adults today and how to overcome them from God's Word based on our weekly experience in leading thousands of young adults at the porch. For more info on the porch, visit theporch.live. Thank you for joining. What's up, guys? This is David. We are back with another episode of Views from the Porch. I am joined with J.D. Rogers. We're back. Yep. John, David, That's straight it. out of, where are you, where, <laughs> South Texas are you from? East, East Texas. Texas. Union Grove, Texas. Union Grove. Wow, oh, man. Outside of Longview, Texas. That's 90, a hood. 903 Beast, Texas. Yes. Oh, the old 903. And the first, for the first time ever, Mrs. Emma Daughter. What's up, guys? Jumping in Emma. while Elena has her baby. Welcome, Emma. Thank David, you. for those that don't know, Emma is my classmate. Oh, here yes. at the Watermark Institute. Yep, we yeah. are part of the back row gang, the Rebels. Man, yeah, and we ride in the style. baddies. Yeah, wow, back row baddies. What does Emma stand for? Just Emma. On your, <laughs> you know, on your birth certificate, it just says it's it's Emma Emma Claire. Wow. But I do get asked if my middle name is Lee, like L E E, but it's what? not. Wait, why? Like, like Emily. Oh, you know, like is Emma short for it? Interesting. Um, Emma Claire, that sounds so south. Yeah, it's so southern. You know, where are you I'm from? Emma Texas. Claire. But I lived in Pennsylvania for a little bit. That's a big state, though. Where in Texas? Dallas. I was born in Dallas. Wow. Wow. Middle school go. and high school in San Antonio. And look at you. You're so far and from home. I know. I'm back. Come on. I love it. All right. What are we talking about today? Yes, David. We are going to tackle something we like to call Instagram theology. Yes. Where we're going to be taking a lot of different verses that you've seen thrown out in Instagram captions. You see them in Instagram bios. I mean, honestly, you see them even outside of Instagram. Mm. Coffee mugs, Hobby Lobby decor. Ooh. I know, like we said last time, you have, I think, these hanging up in your office, like oh, yeah. wall decor in your oh, home, yes. in a bathroom. Flowers with verses on them. They're yes. everywhere. Yep. And so <clears throat> I think a lot of people use a lot of different of like the famous verses in the Bible and they kind of use them as something to wear on a shirt, but they don't actually use them in the right context. Yes. It's like a fashion statement more than it's like an actual, like they know what they're talking about. Totally. And so we want to help provide some clarity to the actual meaning, context, like what the Lord intended for these verses to mean for us as readers yep. and students of the Bible today. And so... So Instagram theology, the reason you yeah. already said it, but it's like... And this is going to make some people check their bio now. Uh -huh. it's, the, it's the verses that people throw in their bio. Not the, all the of basics. them. basics. Yeah. Just, and sometimes they're, they're, and every word of God is true and awesome, like honey on your lips, the psalm mm -hmm. says. But sometimes we rip those out of context. And uh, because they're such beautiful, mm -hmm. poetic, yeah. inspiring verses yep. that we take them. And we don't understand what they mean, but they just sound so great. Feel good. Yes. I just love this God. So then I put that in my Daddy bio. God. And a lot of times, you know, you scroll through and you're like, I wonder if they actually know what that verse means mm -hmm. or the context. What around. was happening. Yes. And I think today's is such a good one because from mm. what I've gathered, and I can't wait for you to expound on is this was some pretty dark times, but we use this in the best of times. We do. And so tell me about... The first verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. Boom. And here's what it says, David. Hit him with it. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Yes. Plans to prosper you and not to harm. Plans to give you hope and a future. Mm. Man, if that doesn't make you just 
It makes me love God. Yes. Woo! it's Man, God is just, he wants me to have the best dreams, the biggest house. He yes. wants me to prosper the most, all Get the money. Get a raise. Yes. God That's, wants me to prosper. Mm, man, that I, I mean, that is why people love it. They're uh -huh. like, hey. It feels good. That is what God has for me. I know. I mean, people will quote this verse whenever times are tough and they're like, hey, but I know God has plans to prosper me. He wants me to have, you know, everything financially. Things are hard now, but that, it, you know, it, a breakthrough is coming. Yep. I know. Breakthrough is coming. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, David, yep. Jeremiah, that's a book that not many people are just diving into Jeremiah these days. And so mm -hmm. what's going on? I know it's a prophet. It's yep. a book of the prophets. But what? tell me more about the context. Who's Who is Jeremiah? What's going on? Hey, I'm excited about this one. Yeah, this, okay. Hopefully this is fun. Hopefully Preach, this is preacher. helpful. Hopefully some people on here, you know, leave understanding it and leave encouraged as well. So the prophets uh, in the Old Testament, the prophets were those who during a set period of time, God spoke to the nation of Israel, which is what the Old Testament is about. God's, you know, interactions and storyline of the old, of the nation of Israel. Mm -hmm. And throughout that storyline, there would be these prophets that God would raise up and he would speak to the nation through that prophet. He'd basically be like, hey, I'm going to talk to you and I want you to talk to them. Here's what would happen though and here why most people didn't want to be prophets is because in Deuteronomy 18, it talks about if you claim to speak on behalf of God and what you say doesn't happen, like if I'm like, guys, tomorrow there's going to be a rainstorm, God wants you to repent and by the way, give me all your money right here and a rainstorm doesn't happen or whatever you promise on behalf of mm -hmm. God doesn't happen, then they kill you yep. because you spoke on behalf of God, which is further why it's really dangerous today for people to say, hey, God told me to say this or God told me to do this. But uh, point aside, those were the prophets. So that would include 12 major ones, no, four major ones and 12 minor ones, but that is just kind of how we think of like four big ones, 12 little ones, kind of right in the center of your book. They're poetry. They sometimes sound like they're really angry, but there's a storyline that goes along with them. Is Jeremiah a big one or a small one? Jeremiah's a big one. Okay. And uh, is in a long one, lots of chapters. Gotcha. That's just what I mean by big. And what can be, I think challenging sometimes is that Jeremiah is also taking place at the time of second Kings. So if you want to know what's mm. going on, reading both of those alongside of one another, and mm -hmm. really a lot of the prophets are like this is like that, that prophet would speak to the nation and he would record his writings. And that's what that book is about. But that prophet is also taking place during the time of one of the Kings that was ruling Israel, which is found in the book of Kings or one of the Kings that was ruling Judah because the, the nation split. But basically it was taking place during other sections of the Bible. So by reading those together or even having, like yeah, you said, helps. a good study Bible that can tell you, oh, go read these verses because it'll help you understand the context of what's going on. You can have a fuller picture. And what's really quick, basic study Bible that for the first time study Bible uses, which one would you say they should use? I would say the ESV study Bible we've said before. Yeah, but yeah I agree. Some people really like the NIV study Bible. I've never used it. I haven't either. either. Yeah. Yeah. But it's I, ESV. We have so. the ESV and I, I, I love like it. it. Yeah. yeah. So. Okay. okay. Can I play the movie for Jeremiah really quick? Please. If yes. you've never understood what happened in the book of Jeremiah, um, stay with me. Don't turn it off. I'm looking at you. Don't go to the next one because I think you'll understand or I think you'll see the Bible is a lot more exciting than you think. It's like Game of Thrones and it is intense, especially the book of Jeremiah. So here's what happened in the book of Jeremiah. The nation of Judah was being ruled at that time by, uh, so nation of Israel, um, Back up. Remember King David? Mm -hmm. I do. He killed a dude that was really big. Yep. With Goliath. a slingshot. Goliath yeah. takes him down. He has a son named Solomon. Solomon likes the ladies. Doesn't, doesn't exactly follow God's will as a byproduct of that. The That's kingdom. so smart. I know, but he's so smart. It is puzzling. How interesting. 
Anyway, so as a byproduct of some of his mistakes, he's not the greatest dad, and the kingdom gets split in two underneath his son, mm-hmm. Rehoboam. And basically, there's a big like civil war. The nation becomes two. So if you read the Old Testament, this is helpful, because I feel like I don't know this for the longest time or didn't understand it. Sometimes it talks about Israel, that was the northern kingdom, and then Judah, which is the southern kingdom. Mm-hmm. And it's like the civil war split it. You got the north and the south, north Israel, south Judah. All that to say, nation of Judah is being ruled at this time. It's like 600 years before Christ. Yep. Being ruled by a guy named Jehoiakim. And God's covenant relationship with the Old Testament people was like, hey, if you listen to me, you obey me, I'm going to bless you. If you don't, you worship foreign gods, I'm going to hand you over to foreign rulers. Like if that's what you want, I'm mm-hmm. going to let you go after it. And the nation went through these cycles of sometimes listening and sometimes not. And the cycle we were in right here, they weren't listening. They were worshiping foreign gods and they uh, were not repenting and listening to God. So Jehoiakim is the king, and he should have as a king been like, hey guys, we need to repent. We need to go back to God. We need to stop doing it. Stop worshiping all these fake idols and messed up stuff that the nation was doing. God raised up a prophet named Jeremiah Hmm. who said, hey, you need to all repent because God is giving us over to foreign rulers because we're worshiping foreign gods. And so basically at that time, they were underneath the Babylonian empire. So this is a lot of names. Basically, they were being ruled by this huge, massive empire, came in and conquered them. And, uh, and the king of that empire was Nebuchadnezzar. Mm-hmm. And Nebuchadnezzar came in. It'd be like if the United States, if Dallas, Fort Worth was its own you know, country, and the United States comes in and we're like, hey, we're conquering you. We're going to leave your, your own little like king, you know, kind of mayor. He can be in charge here, Jehoiakim. But you just do what we say. And as long as you do what we say, we will not crush you. And then Nebuchadnezzar went back to his own hometown. Jehoiakim, so that's kind of the setting. You following it? Yeah. So Jeremiah's going, hey, Jehoiakim, you need to tell the people to repent. We need to turn back to God. He's letting us be punished because we're running from God. He's giving us over to this foreign king. Right now, we need to focus on repenting. And Jehoiakim's like, I'm not, we're not repenting. We're going to fight Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to take him down. He begins to raise up an army, and Jeremiah keeps going up. He's like, hey, I'm telling you, God has told you, you are being punished right now. You need to repent, and you need to submit to Nebuchadnezzar. And it would literally be like Fort Worth or Dallas-Fort Worth area being like, we're taking on the United States of America. So, Which would, I think so low-key, they kind of would. I feel like, I feel like Texas <laughs> and any state, Texas would do that. Texas, yeah. the was one. And even, uh, let's say it's Kansas. Yeah. Kansas being like, guys, I think we can do it. Oh, And and Jeremiah (laughs) is going, guys, we can't do it. God is opposed to you right now. Turn back to God. You're not going to win this battle. So basically, Mm -hmm. Jehoiakim raises up an army. What you would think happens, happens. And Nebuchadnezzar comes in. He takes Jehoiakim, basically kills him, puts another king in place named Zedekiah. And and it's basically like, hey, I want you to do what I say. If you don't, I'm going to crush you. And so... Jeremiah continues to go to Zedekiah and says, hey, this is your chance, bro. You can go from zero to hero, but it doesn't involve you fighting Nebuchadnezzar because we conquered. We can be conquered till we repent. You need to tell Kansas or Judah, the nation, Mm -hmm. to repent, turn back to God. And Zedekiah is like, yeah, I don't know that I exactly want to do that. A few years go by and he's like, you know what? I've read a lot of the Bible stories of how God supports the nation of Israel. I bet we could fight United States, Kansas versus United States again and win. And Jeremiah goes no. and he's like, guys, we cannot win this. We will not win this fight. Stop making this fight. And uh, at one point, like, this is what I think is one of the more hilarious things. You read Jeremiah 28 right before Jeremiah 29. Okay. There's like this big pep rally that's going on where um, you have uh, the nation kind of gathered together 
and they're basically pumping each other up going, hey, we're going to take him down. You know what? We're going to defeat Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, if our God is for us, what can stand against us? Let's go, people. And they're rallying this, this tiny country. My yes. They're going, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And Jeremiah shows up and he's like, guys, we are not going to win this fight if we fight against Nebuchadnezzar. He rules the known world. Mm-hmm. We are Kansas. We can't do this. You need to repent. Man, you, pick Kansas. you need to turn to God. I'm from Kansas, so I feel like I can. Okay, cool. Um, you can. And this pep rally, and it's going on. And uh, Jeremiah comes and he literally wears a yoke. Like, uh, we don't use that term today, but you know, uh, um, like he like, was yoked. It's like what cows. Yeah. Wear, it's right? like he, he oh, literally yeah, yeah. builds this yoke. He, he does like, I'm going to use an illustration. So he makes an arts and crafts project, gets it together, throws it on his back, goes into the pep rally where everyone's like, yes, Judah's going to take him down. And he's like, guys, we're going to lose. Here's what's going to happen. See, like I have this yoke on my neck where I need to be, uh, I'm underneath the yoke and like an ox is underneath the yoke and the authority of somebody pushing that ox to do farm work. That's us. We need to take the yoke. We need to submit to Nebuchadnezzar and submit to God. And the king's right-hand man, one of, one of Zedekiah's right-hand man, he comes up and he's like, no, we don't. He takes the yoke off of his back and he throws it on the ground. And he's like, that's what we're going to do to Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, gosh. And the pep rally goes wild. And Jeremiah is just going, these guys are freaking nuts. First, that arts and craft project took a little bit of time to make. <laughs> Second, it's not going to happen. You're not going to break the yoke off of their back. And you're going to end up being conquered and suffer for it. Nobody listens. And so Jeremiah sees what happens uh, over and over. It's in that context that he writes that verse that everyone loves of the heart is deceitful above all else beyond Akira in Jeremiah 17, mm-hmm. where he just sees one king after the next, after the next lie to themselves. And think like, it's going to be different with me here. It's going to be different this time. We're going to do it. And he comes in and says, you need to turn back to God as a nation. We need to repent. We need to get rid of worship. We need to worship the one true God. We're not going to be successful when this happens. And like Jeremiah promised, that's exactly what happened. And Nebuchadnezzar comes in, takes Zedekiah, plucks his eyes out, brings him back to to his king. And Zedekiah had this weird thing where he would collect kings. Like a lot of people collect like, you know, I don't know what people collect. Hats, cards, baseball cards. He had a collection of kings that he kept in, in his dungeon that he would bring out whenever he had guests over to like be like, oh, look, these are people that I conquered. Zedekiah oh, was a part dark. of that for the rest of his life. And into that context, right before Zedekiah lost that final battle and everyone was getting after the pep rally and they're all pumped, we're going to take him down. Yeah. Not knowing they were about to get really taken down themselves. Um, a lot of the people at that pep rally started reaching out to their relatives who Nebuchadnezzar had already the first time that he came in and conquered and Judah, mm-hmm. the first time that he beat Jehoiakim, he took a bunch of people with him. Nebuchadnezzar was like, Hey, I'm taking your King out and I'm bringing every, I'm bringing the top 10% with me back to Babylon. Your smartest, your prettiest, all those people, they're going to be my slaves to show you guys what's up. And so the nation of Israel, before they had that final defeat after the pep rally was like, dude, we're going to defeat them. We're going to win. They started writing letters to their family members in Babylon. You following me? So I, th- I think so. We're, we're in Jerusalem. Let me go back to the pep rally. They're at the pep rally. They smash the thing. Uh, the nation of Israel or nation of Judah is in sin, not worshiping God. And they're going, we're going to defeat these guys. They begin writing to their relatives who had been taken captive yep. and writing saying, hey, you're coming home soon. Can't wait to see you. You're going to be back soon because we're going to defeat Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. Jeremiah writes a letter to the captives in Babylon And the letter is where we get the verse that you read earlier, where he says, basically, get comfortable. You're going to be there for 70 years. Seek the welfare of the city that you're in. 
I know the plans God says I have for you as a nation, Judah, to prosper you, not to harm you. This is not what I wanted, but you are worshiping foreign gods. You need to turn back to me. So Jeremiah, that verse is not like, um, Jeremiah basically writes that letter to contradict the other letters that the captives were getting. That is like, hey, we're going to come rescue you here soon to say, no, we're not. You're going to be there for 70 years, it says in the letter. So you mean, wait, you mean to tell me that oh, yeah. that verse yes. is actually speaking against what, so it's like the other people, the family members wrote the letter with the context that we think that verse is. Exactly. We're about to prosper. We're about to get you. We're about to conquer. Yes. And then the one that we actually use was actually saying, no, homie, that was. Yes. <laughs> get comfortable. Literally. It's that's like what it get says. comfortable. Life sucks. Yes. Yeah. You're going to be there for a long time. Everyone's saying you'll be home soon because we're going to win. No, we are not. It's going to get rough. So if I use that verse in context, let's say something bad is heading my way. Yeah. I actually should be like, oh, m- maybe it's like, oh, I need to get comfortable. The Lord might have me. Here in for this a while. for a while. Yeah, it's basically like, <laughs> hey, as a consequence of not listening and oh, following wow. God, he he allowed them to be taken captive. Yeah. And hey, you're not coming home. Seek the welfare of the city. Like, hey, get comfortable. You're going to be there for a while. And um, God wants to prosper us, but we need to turn back to him. That's the only way he can prosper us mm-hmm. is by turning and repenting from sin, repenting from worshiping these these foreign gods that are not real gods at all, and that is the context in which he writes that letter. It's pretty fascinating stuff that unless you really dive deep, you're like, oh, well, you can go read Jeremiah 28 and 29 and get a grip on on really exactly what he's saying and go see it for yourself. Wow, that's really good. Yeah. Thank you for that. I just felt like I went through a whole semester of seminary. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> that was, dude, are you? You're smart. You know, I don't care what people say about you. Oh, wow. You're pretty stop. smart. Oh, I'll say stop. it. Oh, do you guys want me to tell you the end of the story of Jeremiah? Please. No one likes yeah. a cliffhanger. Are you sure? Yeah. yeah. How the war happened or how the final battle happened? Oh, yeah. Are you going to forget us. your question and come back? No. All right. Hey, if you're bored, just skip like 40 seconds. But um, <laughs> who doesn't love a good like war movie? Okay. So Jeremiah says, writes the letter, get comfortable. You're not coming home. Goes back to Zedekiah. Hey, we're not going to win this fight. You mess with the bull. You get the, the horns. horns. So we, we mess with Nebuchadnezzar. We are going to die. So on January 15th, 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar shows up. He's told like, hey, they're doing it again. Zedekiah is rebelling again. These, these Kansas people are crazy. <laughs> they're still trying to take on the U.S. Nebuchadnezzar shows up, and this time he brings the entire army. The scripture tells us he brings everybody, thousands of soldiers, camels, chariots, thousands of cooks, slaves, people. He was mad and he showed up and he was going to destroy the city. This is when the temple and everything got destroyed. He shows up and, and uh, Zedekiah locks all of the city gates of Jerusalem. He's like, hey, lock it all up. It's all going to be okay. Let's keep pumping each other up and you know we can do it. God's yeah. for us when being against us. And Jeremiah's going, no, he is not for you because you are not for God and you're not going to win this fight. And so this is crazy, dude. This is in Second uh, Kings chapter 25. Um, we're told Nebuchadnezzar builds a wall around the entire city. He builds a wall um, for two years and they basically starve out the nation of Israel. And Zedekiah goes in and he asks Jeremiah, like he's going, oh dude, people are starving and, um, and people are not going to make it. And, uh, you know, the city, we're going under. And he goes to Jeremiah because, you know, it's Jeremiah's God's boy. Jeremiah's yeah. a godly man. He goes now to Jeremiah and he's like, hey, I need you to ask God to please help me. 
You need to ask God to save us from this. And Jeremiah says, God has already promised you are not going to win this fight. You have uh, not listened to God along the entire way. And so Zedekiah goes out and he looks around and he sees as far as the eye can see, there's soldiers everywhere from Nebuchadnezzar and they're waiting. And we're told that Jeremiah says, your only option is to surrender. This is Jeremiah 38. If you surrender the officers of the king of Babylon, if you surrender them, your life will be spared and the city will not be burned down. This is Jerusalem. The city will not be destroyed and your family will live. If you do not surrender, the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians. They will burn this city to the ground and you will not escape from them. Obey the Lord by surrendering and doing what I am telling you and your life will be spared. God gives him one last chance, surrender, repent, and he doesn't listen. And we're told that the king, 2 Kings chapter 25, he comes in, then they just begin to slaughter all over the place. Take, oh. That's when they take Zedekiah, they pluck his eyes out, they set the temple on fire and they burn it down. They take the royal palace, they begin to burn it to the ground, they take all of the gold and the city is destroyed because this king would not listen. And that's why I said like, in the context of that is where Jeremiah writes, man, the heart is so deceitful. You lie to yourself. You see people do the same sin, same struggle, same messed up stuff. And you say, it's not gonna happen to me this time. Yeah. You keep sleeping around and you, you end up with an STD, despite the fact that after mistake, after mistake, and God gives you grace and you think, man, it's not gonna happen to me this time. And then we do what Zedekiah did where we cry out and go, God, please, not this time. Um, but it's one of those like, Hail Mary, just please don't let me be pregnant prayers. All along, God had been whispering, turn to me, walk with me, walk with me, walk with me. And that was when the temple, which is kind of a big deal in, in biblical history, the temple getting destroyed, the city of Jerusalem being burned down. And that also, after that, is when he wrote the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah, mm. where he's like lamenting everything that's going on there. Look, I don't get to talk about this stuff with anybody. Yeah. And so uh, there you go. But um, So uh, the, my question is like, so you're just telling me this is out of context to yeah. use this verse. I could easily think, okay, so you're telling me also that then God doesn't want hope for me and like to prosper. And I, I know kind of what I think you're going to say now, given all of that. Yeah. So what does it actually look like for God? Like, what does God mean by wanting us to prosper? And what is, what is his hope for us? Yeah. Yeah. I think Psalms one, where it talks about blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or sits in the seat of scoffers or stands in the way. Basically it's like, Hey, blessed is a man who, um, who, who leans on the word of God. Mm -hmm. Like all those words are kind of funny of sitting. Yeah. What's sitting in Basically, hey, blessed in the guy who doesn't run with fools and take his advice from culture, but he delights in the word of God. Mm. He's someone who's going to prosper. That doesn't yeah. mean that he's always going to be the richest. It doesn't mean that he's always going to be, you know, the person that gets married whenever they want to or has as many kids as they want to. It means they're going to experience a life that like a tree by water is full and is blossoming and is healthy, that's the type of life that they're gonna experience. So yes, but the greatest blessings that God can give us is himself, a relationship with him, like uh, uh, as equally good of a blessing as um, getting that uh, you know brand new G-Wagon is the person who's content and doesn't have to have the G-Wagon. Mm -hmm. You know what a G-Wagon is? I do. Oh yeah. Yeah, you do. G-Wagon, G-Wagon. Uh, like, does that make sense? Like it just, yeah. is, and that's a blessing that a lot of people don't think of. Like, oh man, there are people in life who are like, Hey, I don't need that. I'm, I'm okay. I'm content with what I have right now. There are people who have like peace on the inside. Mm -hmm. They're marked by like, I'm not crippled by anxiety. Those are some of the blessings that walking with God leads to inside of a life. Not every time and not overnight. And it's, I'm not saying that if you have anxiety, it's, 
it's because like, um, you know, there's some gross hidden sin always there that's marking it. My point is the blessings, we think blessings like, hey, dude, I got the Rolex. I got the wife. Yeah. I got everything that's called. And that is what God, God doesn't look at blessings that way. In fact, a lot right. of the people blessed in scripture, Jesus, you know, he said there's no place for him to lay his head. He didn't have some huge yeah. five house mansion, five house, I guess. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yes, he does. And he's not opposed to you having things, yeah. you know, having a shirt on your back and food in your stomach and um, all of those things. He loves you. But a lot of the blessings that we think are blessings sometimes are, are curses yeah. in people's life. What I learned from that story you just said was, you know, they would have experienced hope in a prosperous life had it looked like repenting. It was, it, God was like, this is what I wanted to give you, but it required abandoning your pride, abandoning what the things that you mm -hmm. thought you wanted, abandoned victory. Yeah. Like they thought they were going to get victory. You know, it's yeah. like, and that's what we're so quick like to like shout these days. is like, I want to see victory. Yeah. I want to <laughs> see prosperity and favor. And it's like, yes. that's all that. Yeah. And it pumps us up. Yeah. It's so, this is so applicable to today. Totally. Like, this is yeah. waking me up to a big reality. And so another question I have, we, we're kind of wrapping up and Emma, if you have anything, please jump in. Um, I think, it would be really easy then to look at this and go, um, if I can't use scripture like this, like how would you incur, like what would you teach us about using script, scripture properly? Yeah, because there are probably people who are in a tough situation, maybe yeah. a family member sick and they look at this verse and they thought it was a source of encouragement. Yeah, you just yeah. rained on their parade, man. Like Instagram bios are getting changed across the country uh, right now because out. of you. <laughs> I don't think it's, like, it's like, what can I use now? What yeah. should I use? How can I be encouraged? Yes. Yeah. Here's where I think it, it, you gotta be, so I would say, man, that's where you have to study and you gotta like know the context mm -hmm. and read it and be a student of it. And and um, where I my heart breaks for people that use that is they're going through a hard time and their mom has cancer and somebody goes, hey, look, I need you to read this verse. And they interpret and they give them Jeremiah 29, yeah. 11. Yep. And, and then they take away like, oh man, my God's for me. This cancer, no weapon prevail, no weapon formed against me shall prevail. This cancer is not going to last. And then the cancer lasts mm -hmm. and their faith crumbles and breaks. And it's a faith that wasn't anchored in a promise that God had made to them. They took that verse and they applied it in a way that was not, not the promise that God was having. Yeah. Um, just like your point, like the, the promise he gives to the nation there is, Hey, you're not coming home anytime soon. Yeah. You're not seeing your grandbabies anytime soon. You're going to be there 70 years, get comfortable. And, uh, but I, I have plans to prosper. You have to repent and listen. So in the same way, that's, that is the danger. I think in case we're not trying to pop people's bubbles and be, cause God does love you. He does want you to experience mm -hmm. a life of joy. He says, rejoice always. He's for you. And he's shown that clearly by giving his life. And for all of eternity, you're going to experience, you know, the um, incredible gift that it is to know God more deeply and just all that life is, is about. But um, if you begin to bank wrongly on promises, you take verses out of context and don't understand them, it, it can hurt your faith. Or if you encourage others to do that, it hurts their faith. Yep. So I would just say you've got to be a student of it. I think pastors do a disservice whenever they rip things out of this and they, they promise it like a blanket promise over people yeah. and um, hurts. It can hurt their faith. Cause Jesus, Jesus also says in this world, you will have trouble. Yes. Like, we can't forget that reality either. Yeah. Yes. And so let's just wrap up with some practical, helpful resources. What are just some things that are off the top of your head, David, if I'm wanting to know, Hey, does this scripture apply, apply to people today? 
or was it just to that context, just to the nation of Israel or whatever it might be? How, what, what are some things I can use uh, to, to better understand what scripture was meant to be? Yeah. I mean, meant to be read. I would, I would get a study Bible um, that helps you um, know exactly some of the context that is going on there. People are going to, I would, I'm not saying read it at the expense cause there's a whole camp that's like, no, just read it. Um, you don't need any other thoughts about scripture. Just read the exact scripture. I think that's fine. But I think what helps me is seeing scripture in context. It makes it come alive for me mm-hmm. when I know, oh, this verse in Jeremiah was also the same time as second Kings 25, which means, and what happened there? Oh, yeah. wow. The King uh, of Babylon showed up. And as far as the eye could see, there were soldiers that had to be crazy. Mm-hmm. And then I read the verse in Jeremiah 38 and they just weave together. So I think Stuff like that can help make it come alive. And um, and I just think there is no quick and easy answer. You've got to study the scripture. And um, there's a book. This is like for next level nerds out there. But if you go to um, everyone who graduates from DTS has to read this book. And it's a really simple one. And it's a really easy one to read. And it's a good one. And it's high level just how to study scripture. And it's Living by the Book by Howard Hendricks, who is like a legend at Dallas Seminary. The guy had an eye patch. Look like a pirate. pirate. He's like teaching, no, real story. He's like teaching a 90 years old with (laughs) with an eye patch on there, just in there like, read this book, holding up his Bible. And uh, he wrote- Are you a Christian? Yes. He wrote a book (laughs) called Living by the Book. And that just walks through like, hey, what's the eternal truth? What was the truth? What was the author saying then when it was written? And just kind of helping you think through questions of observation, interpretation, application, kind of a bunch of that stuff. But yeah, I would read it in context. Yeah. And, um, and I would- I would seek out to know, like, God, I know you're for me. And no matter what I'm walking through, you promise not to leave me or forsake me. This life is a vapor and help me to hold on to you in the midst of challenging times. It's good. All right. That's all I have. Sweet. That's all I got. I lo- Hey, Emma, thank you for being here. Hey, yes. Thank you for having me, guys. So glad Man, you're here with us. I love it. This was fun. Okay. Hey, we will see you next time on another episode of Views from the Porch. Thank you for listening to Views from the Porch. For more information about The Porch Ministry, visit us at theporch.live or follow us on social media at The Porch.